seated. This, this time, Haley Creek's going to bring our special. You know, he came from, hello. <laughs> Y'all, you know, he came from glory for, for, to die on the cross for us. Who am I that we come in? It's one I sung last night, and, 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 it, and it, I, they just wanted to do it again this morning, so here we go. When I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelt among the lonely, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace. On my Calvary, take my place. Then I ask myself this question. Who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, My will be thine for? Answer I may never know why he ever loved me so. It go for who am I? I'm reminded of his words. I leave you never. Just call on his name. He said he'd give you life forever. I wonder what I could have done to deserve God's only son. Either one, who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, My will be mine for? And to help me, neither know why he ever loved me so. to introduce to you our speaker this morning uh come all the way from the philippines to be here and uh and i'm gonna have to keep them monkeys here so i like those <laughs> monkeys now uh brother glenn knight awesome man of god give him your undivided attention as he shares the work in the philippines but also the word of god will you brother glenn come on Thank you, Brother Josh. Good morning, everyone. Don't let that go yet, okay? Hang on just a second, guys. We're so glad to be with you all today. Pastor, thank you for being so gracious to let me take the morning service. And uh, 
You come over to the Philippines and I'll let you preach on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Summer and Julie and Justin and I arrived last night to a very warm welcome. Uh, we were very glad to eat a little bit of alligator. I've been telling Summer and Justin that we eat alligators over here and they could hardly believe it. But uh, Brother Josh and his family served up some alligator last night, and Jeff and Dina, and we just had a good time last night. And I told my family, wait until tomorrow, and you'll see the folks at the church, and you'll feel at home. You've made us feel at home today. Thank you so very, very much. The last time Julie and I were here with you, of course, we had, uh, we had Paula with us. We've gone through a lot since that time. Thank you for praying for us because we needed your prayers. We went through some very difficult and sad times, but God is gracious and he's faithful. And I, I have to say this because you are family to me. And for how many years we've been in the Philippines? More than 22. We started the 23rd year three weeks ago. So... You have been family to me even before that because I remember coming and preaching revival here and sharing times with you and with your young people at camp and so on. Promised Land Baptist Church is one of my home churches, Summer. Justin, you, you have to understand that, and you do, and I love you all because you have always been home to me. And uh, the music, wow, we could have listened to that music some more this morning. The Haley Creek boys always, I, 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 wish, I thought I heard someone say more. Was someone asking for more? I couldn't bear to ask them for more. I said, I'm telling you, 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 Jim and I go way back. We were boy, boyhood friends back when, when we were young, and that was not yesterday. Uh, Steve and Melanie Jinks and the boys from Central and Bastrop. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming today. We tried to post on our Facebook page where we're going to be ahead, and, you know, people from the surrounding areas who are Facebook friends with us very often come to where we're going to be. So uh, these have come today, and maybe others as well. Thank you so much. Now, if I had had these monkeys when I taught Sunday school, and Russell Wallace was one of the toe-headed boys in that Sunday school class, now you know how old I am, because he's old. And I was his Sunday school teacher at Pauline in Monticello years and years ago. But if I had had these monkeys, I don't know which would have been worse, these monkeys or you monkeys. But, but we had a good time, didn't we, Russell? And that was, that was a long time ago. It's just so good to relax and be with friends and family and people that I've known and loved for so long. And thank you for wel welcoming Summer and Justin as we have received them into our family. She and I have uh, teamed up in the Philippines. Now, she's from South Africa. She and Justin both from Durban, in South Africa, in Cape Town. Uh, it's kind of funny. We were, we were visiting somewhere, and someone asked, well, where are they from? I said, South Africa. And the lady, lady said, no, 
where are they from? I said, South Africa. Okay, she said, where in South Africa? It's like, you're from South Arkansas? Where in South Arkansas? We can relate to that. They are from the nation of South Africa. And if you talk to them and you say, well, they talk funny. Wait until we get home and they will say about you, they talk funny. <laughs> we, were, we were at a church last Sunday and uh, uh, I, I entered, there was a lady that came by and shook her hands and greeted us, you know. And uh, I, I, I said to the lady there, I said, they're from South Africa. And she looked up at me and she said, well, do they talk English? <laughs> yes, they talk English. But they also may speak to you in Afrikaans. That's their native language. Now, when Summer gets mad at me, she says things to me in Afrikaans. And I have no idea what you said, so all I do is just smile. <laughs> and she says, you don't, know, you don't want to know what I just said to you. I said, no, I don't. That's fine. I was amused a while ago talking with one of the guys there in the foyer. Uh, one of the men said this morning, said, your wife's taking good care of you, isn't she? I said, yeah, she's a good cook. One of the guys, I've forgotten who you are, said, my wife buys me these shirts with humps in them now. <laughs> who, who told me that? Lift up your hand. Yeah, right there, okay. <laughs> I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Because everywhere we go where people have known us for a long time, known me for a long time, they say, wow, you're putting on a little weight there, aren't you? And I say, yes, I am. Because I like to have starved to death before summer came along. And uh, she takes good care of me. Thank you all. God bless you, and, and we're so glad to be with you. Let's show a video now, guys. You ready back there, Jeff? Tell us ready. You may, I don't know if you want to turn off the lights or leave them on, but we want to show you something. This will give you a little indication of where the mission money is going. Thank you so much, because from the very beginning, you have helped us in that mission work in the Philippines. And thank you for failing in, because we failed in, and I tell you honestly that the work has enlarged itself immensely, and there's really actually no limit to where this mission project can go now. And you'll see in this video, if we get it going, you'll see what we're doing right now and how your mission investment is really paying off. Now, sometimes some of you say, we want to come and sail with you on that ship. Are you sure? <laughs> you better bring your sea legs when you come because this is a typical day of... of of sailing on the ship right there. That's very, can you guys see if I'm standing here? The sea is not always nice and calm. We do have a few days that are nice, but usually uh, it's about like that. And actually, this is a nice day. It's kind of boring when it's flat like a lake. This keeps it exciting when it's like that. But we sail now throughout all of the Philippines. Our mission work that was for so very many years confined mostly to the city of Davao and the Gulf of Davao, now encompasses all of the islands of the Philippines. And with 7,000-plus islands over there, guys, we can go anywhere we need to go at the drop of a hat and do work that needs to be done. But it's like this, and that's how we travel from the ship to the shore and from the shore back to the ship. And always we say, if you don't like to be wet, don't live on a ship. 
Summer says, I don't mind getting wet when we're coming back to the ship because we're coming home, but it's when we're going to the city for some reason and we get wet and we have to air dry. And we do that. But we've learned how to cope with all of that. Life on a ship is interesting. And yes, we do live full-time on the ship. We don't have a home on the land at all. We live on that ship. We work from the decks of that ship. And we sail to those islands far and near and work among the people in the villages. Sometimes the days are like that. Or like that right there. Justin is the one who uh, shot all of this video. He uses a drone and sends it high in the air to get the aerial shots. He uses another fancy little gadget camera that helps us to get good video. So if you enjoy this, tell Justin that he did a good job because he's doing a good job there. Um, this, this is uh, part of what we do, disaster aid. You guys are gearing up right now to go down to South Louisiana to Baton Rouge and help down there. God willing, we're going to go along with you with our trailer and help mobilize those things. It's just really hard for us as missionaries over there to see people in need. I don't care where it is. It's very difficult for us to see people in need and not do something about it when we have within our hands the ability to do something. So while here in the U.S., we're going to be helping with that effort down there as well. We're, uh, we're not glad that it happened, but we're glad to be here to help you guys and other of our churches who are going to be working down there for the next few days. You can see kids coming out of that chapel building there with little boxes in their hands. Those are vitamins for children. We, we are finding so many medical problems there among the people. This is, uh, these pictures here are from a medical project that we did in April. If you follow us on Facebook, you saw part of that. If you get our newsletter, you saw also part of that. We're doing a surgery on a man's arm right there. These are the kinds of things that are needed. That little poor woman there is Gina, and she died two weeks after that picture was taken of starvation. Starvation, guys. This is one of the poorest circumstances of, of any people that I have ever seen in the world. They, they truly are on these remote islands. They truly are going hungry. Children malnourished, uh, even adults dying like that little woman there. She's 22 years old. She left three little starving children at home and her husband unable to care for them. So this is a, a, a terrible circumstance there, but very common. Now you saw an aerial shot right there. One of the things that we're doing to help the people that uh, are in need of water is we drill water wells. Brother Steve helped us to learn how to use the machine that we've got over there. Steve, you can see what we're doing here and you understand very well. We're making the drive point for the well casing. We cut the screen in that pipe, that Schedule 80 PVC 4-inch. We're able to drill a 2-inch pilot hole with our little machine. We ream it out to 4 inches and then ream it again to 6 inches. We bail it out. You can see the whole process going on right here. This machine will only drill down to 100 feet, but typically that's good enough for where we're drilling to find good water for the people. On this island right here, there has never been a well put in. They only have cisterns that collect groundwater, and the people are sick because of that. Water is contaminated. They suffer uh, typhoid fever also and lots of intestinal parasites. Because the need is urgent, we work fast. How about that? <laughs> Justin filmed this in slow-mo so he could speed it up and show you the whole process of boring a pilot hole and then pulling out the drill stem again, thumbs up, job done. We drill this one down, Brother Steve, 55 feet. 
that was deep enough. We got in an aquifer there. Uh, we're bailing it out right there, and then in the days uh, following that, we were able to put in a well casing, and the well's been completed. That's a well that we drilled a long time ago. It's still in good service. See the little baby there trying to get somebody to come help her take her bath. She just needed somebody to come pump that handle, Jim, and nobody would help her, see? But anyway, there are problems with water over there, and you'd think, well, these islands are surrounded by water, but keep in mind that that's salty water. It's some of the saltiest water in the world, in fact, because of its latitude and because of the heat. But um, one of the things that we do is we bring ceramic water filters that are assembled in two five-gallon buckets like you see right there. Drill three holes, put a filter together. It takes about 10 minutes to set one of them up. Put it in a home, and it will filter water for about a year before the people need to replace the filter. We had 10,000 of those filters on hand. We've already given away more than 7,000 of them, placing those filters in different places, and we'll continue with that. I'm trying right now to get another supply of those filters that we will ship over there before long. But giving water filters, putting them in the homes like that, that's only a kind of a stopgap measure. The best thing to do is drill a water well. Most of those islands have water, but it has to be tapped. We have the ability to do that. These are hobo sacks. Summer gave them the name hobo sacks because they look like a sack that an old hobo would be carrying along. Inside the hobo sacks are little stuffed animals. No, Stanley, you and Yanni can't go in a hobo sack. Just forget it, okay? We have to keep track of Stanley and Yanni because they'll be off with those kids if we're not real careful. But clothing and flip-flops and, and hygiene kits and things of that nature go in the hobo sacks, and then we're able to go into the villages and give those to the people. And listen, folks, these are people who are really in need. They don't live near a city. They don't have any kind of modern conveniences. They don't have electricity. One of the things that we're doing also is uh, making these little dresses. Our sending church, Victory Baptist in Sherwood, has a project going on now that the ladies have called the 100 Dresses Project based on a children's book by the same name, the 100 dresses. Anyway, they're making dresses. Some of them are made of pillowcases. Others are made from just bolts of fabric with patterns. If you're interested in knowing how to get involved in that, maybe you've got a ladies group, you'd like to sew up some of these, talk to Summer about it. She can tell you, and uh, we'd be very happy for you to get involved. They're making dresses. They're also making little short pants for boys. Uh, there are many things also that we'll be collecting for our container uh, we've got a trailer full of things to take to the warehouse this afternoon. Going to be getting more things in as, from as far away as California and Maryland and all places in between. But we're consolidating another container and be sending it on October 25. There's old Stanley. You see, he loves to be out there working with these kids. We use these monkeys to teach them Bible verses and prayers. And it's really incredible how interested they get and they can be rowdy until we pull out these monkeys and suddenly they just freeze. And they look at those monkeys. Some of them are afraid. They think they really are monkeys. But um, they listen to the verses and the prayers and things that we are teaching them with Stanley and Yanni. And then we take pictures with them. And their pictures go on Facebook. We took pictures with some of your kids in Sunday school this morning. If you're Facebook friends with us, watch a Facebook page because you'll see Stanley and Yanni with some of your children here. Uh, just in a day or so. 
mainly what we do, guys. Everything, all of this that I've talked about right there, you know, all of that is just kind of surface feature stuff. Mainly what we do is we take people copies of the Word of God. We teach them the Word of God. We share with them the things that God has given to us. We lead them to the Lord. We help to establish churches. We provide the things necessary for spiritual training. You can help them physically. You can help them emotionally. But until you've helped them spiritually, you've really done nothing that is lasting. So everything that we do gives us an opportunity to minister spiritually to them. Now, what we're concerned about these days is reaching those who are very young. And the reason for that is there are others working in the Philippines right now also trying to reach the very young and indoctrinate them in some really bad, radical things. Namely, the New People's Army, which is a communist insurgency in the Philippines, and it is, has overspread the Philippines. You cannot go anywhere in the Philippines now where you are not under the watchful eye of the New People's Army, a communist insurgency. If you've gotten the copy of our June and July newsletter, on the back page there's a little map and it shows in red the areas that are affected by the communist influence. You'll be surprised to see that. The other insurgency that we have there is the Muslim insurgency, a Muslim extremist group called the Ambassayat that ramped up their activities in uh, the last year or the last seven months to a level that I have never seen in my 22 years of working in the Philippines. And one of the ways that they're doing it is they're going into these very impoverished villages in really remote places, and they are teaching, indoctrinating, and they are radicalizing the young. Those from the very small ages, young ages, the little bitty kids, all the way up to the teenage group. The largest group of fighters, for example, in the NPA right now is comprised of teenage girls. You can find them on, on Facebook, you can find them on YouTube, you can find them on the internet. Take a look at them whenever you get a chance and you'll see hundreds of teenage girls brandishing AK-47s and AR-15s and M-16s, and they are murderous. It is surprising. When they started that, they were just young girls like you have in your Sunday school classes right now. Guys, if we don't reach those people now at that young age, these other extremist groups are going to reach them. You know, there was a time in the Philippines when, when I was more concerned with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons reaching them while I'm still concerned about that, I'm more concerned about the radicals from the Islamic groups and the communist groups reaching those young children. Look at this little girl here. She was teaching a Sunday school class. She learned a Bible lesson, and then she turned right around and taught that Bible lesson to kids her same age. This is what we want to see in the Philippines. This is how it needs to be. In the, in the classrooms, in the schools like that, teaching them to pray talking to their parents, trying to reach them and help them to guide their kids away from these radical extremist groups. Now, you say, well, I don't see how they can be so influential. Look, in the first place, the extremists are very mobile. In the second place, they have money. On Samal Island, where your missionary, Ravel Albino, is working, 
Last year, there were $500,000 spread around Samal Island to poor Filipino families in order to buy information about foreigners living on Samal Island or visiting frequently Samal Island. $500,000 given to poor people, they will give any information they have in order to get some of that money in their hands. That's what has happened. Guess who, by the way, according to the Philippine National Police, was at the very top of the list when information was collated. This missionary and his family. We're facing dangerous circumstances in the Philippines right now. But we're committed to carrying on in the work of the Lord. We need your prayers to do it with more wisdom and more courage and more good judgment than ever in the past. When people think about the Philippines, maybe they think about the liberation of the Philippines from the Japanese in the years that followed with the presence of the American bases, the Air Force, and the Navy. Listen, if that's your idea of the Philippines, it's not like that anymore. It has changed dramatically. We have no American military presence in the Philippines anymore, period. End of story. That's out. What we do have in the Philippines right now is corruption from the lowest level of government all the way to the top. We have a new president. He says he's going to clean it up. We pray for him every single day. It is an uphill drag, I promise you. And what they're having to do right now is something you almost have to close your eyes at and think, I wish this wasn't happening. But there is a state of emergency in the Philippines, both in terms of politics and society, more importantly, we have the funding that will take us there. This is a great work. It is an unprecedented kind of work, not only among missionary Baptist churches, but among any churches in the world. There are so few sailing ships that are dedicated to gospel ministry in the world that it's, it's really astounding. I've done the searches on that. Justin has helped me to do the searches on that. There are not many of us out there in the world's oceans doing what we're doing. We're doing it because you guys can't, but we're only doing it because you guys help us do it. So please keep us in your prayers. We're so eager to get back home. We don't go back until December 1. We were actually cautioned by the Philippine National Police to stay out of the country for a while to let things cool down and maybe take the attention off of us. And then we slip back in and we pick up our work and we carry on. But God willing, we will be back in the Philippines by December 3. Please keep us in your prayers. If you're not Facebook friends with us yet, find us on Facebook and friend us. We'll keep a lot of information coming. But if you do that, please don't share it. Don't post it otherwise, because sometimes it will fall into the wrong hands. Cyber tracking, we have been victimized by cyber tracking that was initiated by the Abu Sayyaf 
following us, keeping up with us where we are as they continued their search for us. We're not alarmists, but we have to be honest with ourselves and we want to be honest with you. Please keep us in your prayers. Now, I'm going to preach. You guys didn't want to go until about 1.30, did you? No, we'll go. Plenty early enough, Russell. If you'll pay attention, son, you just promise me you'll sit still, okay? He, he used to have the awfulest time sitting still. Look in Luke chapter 9 for just a moment, please. Verse 44. Luke chapter 9, verse 44. Jesus is speaking here. You guys have your place? Hold up your Bible. Let me see. Did you bring a copy of the Word of God with you? Amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 44. Jesus is speaking. He said, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered, shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not the saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. Have you guys ever been afraid to talk to the Lord about something? When we pray, you know, if we pray publicly, we're careful about how we pray. But sometimes when it's just us and the Lord in the quiet moments, maybe in the darkness of night or you're traveling down the road and it's only you, you switch off that radio and you turn off the cell phone or silence it or whatever, and you just say, Lord, there's something I need to talk to you about. You had had those times, right? I have. Lord, I need to talk to you about some things right now. We went through that. We went through that. Our family did. And enough, I'm not going to say so much more about that, but there was a time not too long ago that I, I just kept saying, Lord, I need to talk to you about this because I don't have some answers, and I'd like to have some answers, Lord. Times when, when you feel very alone, times when you're uncertain about what the future holds, like with me, I, I always knew what the mission is. I've never, ever doubted the mission. But there were times whenever I would be thinking, how am I going to carry on? And I'd just say, Lord, I need to talk to you about this. And I was so eager to listen. The Lord gave answers. Part of the answers sitting right over here with Julie. But there are other times whenever I say, Lord, I, I don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> because I know He's wanting to show me some things. He's wanting me to understand some things. But times, Bruce, when I say, Lord, uh, not now, maybe later. I, I don't want to talk about this right now. Are you that way sometime? These disciples heard something that Jesus was saying. But they were afraid, Steve. They were afraid to ask Him. Lord, what are you talking about? And the Bible said no one dared to ask Him. I understand that to mean, no, don't tell me, Lord, don't tell me. I, I don't know. I don't want to know. It's kind of like when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria and they saw Him talking to her, but the Bible says no one dared to ask Him about what they were discussing. There are times in our lives, I think, when we're really afraid to ask the Lord, Lord, 
What are you saying to me? Lord, what are you talking about? Here, Brother Josh, these men heard what he said. He even told them, let this sink down into your ears. And you know, sometimes we will say to people, are you listening to me? Do parents ever say that to the kids? Are you listening to me? Jesus asked them basically the same. Are you listening? Do you hear what I'm saying? Let this sink down into your ears. I am going to be taken and I will be slain. He had already told them. With wicked hands, crucified and slain. Peter even mentioned at the time, he said, God forbid, be it far from thee. But he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And he was too busy talking himself to listen to what Jesus was saying. But sometimes, with that way, no one dared to ask him what this was all about. But now you follow something here. The day or two or three after this, something began to happen. The Bible says, verse 51, follow on. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. I like the way the Bible talks about that, Brother Josh, that he would be received up. God sent him, and by the way, let's add this, God sent his son into a very dangerous world, into a critical circumstance. Jesus came because God sent him. But now the Bible says the time was near at hand when he would be received up because the Father had sent him. It was almost time now for the Father, as it were, to reach down and say, come home now. It's done. It's done. When he would be received up, look what the Bible says. He started packing his bags and thinking, well, I'm out of here soon. <laughs> I, 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 I came here, yes, it was hard, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack up now. I'm going to go home real soon. Is that what the Bible says? Mm-mm. It wasn't as though the Lord was looking at his watch and marking dates on the calendar and saying, it's almost time, it's almost time, because there was something yet to be done. The one thing for which he had come had to be done, Pastor. It was near the time when he would be received up. But look what the Bible says. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. You know, I dare say, Brother Norman... Whenever you've got something in your mind, it shows on your face. Amen? He has his face steadfastly set because of something he's got on his mind. Can, can you guys grasp that for just a moment? Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, incarnate upon the earth, having come down from heaven to this world with the eternal purpose of God in redemption of mankind, all of that in his heart and in his mind. 
We cannot emphasize enough the appearance of Jesus with His face set steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He had been there before. It wasn't as though He was going as a tourist to see it again. He knew what was going to go on. He had told His disciples. No one dared to ask Him what. No one dared to ask Him where or when or why. But Jesus knew. And He set His face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. And He sent messengers before His face. They went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for Him. Can you imagine this? They go into the village and they say, Jesus is coming. He's just there outside the city and He's coming. Now get ready. All of you people make a a line here and there. Jesus is coming. Do you understand? He's coming through. Maybe in one hour He's going to be here. So get ready. Everybody get ready now because the Lord is coming. This is in the contrast to that. sent them ahead. They went out and tried to gather up the people, but it didn't work, did it? Look at what the Bible says. They did not receive Him because His face was as though He would go to Jerusalem. Now, I don't really understand all there is to understand about that, but before when He was there, They compelled him to stay, and he stayed two days with them. Some of the same people now, he's coming, but they won't even come out from their shops or their houses. They'll not make a receiving line along the roadside. The Lord is coming, but no one cared to see him. But his face was set as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now, one thing I do think I understand about this is, Jesus had that one thing in His mind. Go to the cross. Give Himself freely for the salvation of all humanity. Now can you think for a moment He's coming through and here all of these people are there and there and there and and here, Jim, they're all there and they carry on. They're doing what they normally do while the Savior's on His way to Calvary. You suppose Jesus might have thought, why bother? They don't even care to come out and greet me when I come through the city, right? But I'm going there for them. What they could see in His face was a resolute expression, but if they had looked deeper, Russell, they might have seen reflections of themselves in His eyes. Because for every soul along the roadside, everyone in the shop and everyone in the home, Jesus was marching to Calvary. They could have seen in His eyes their reflections because He was going for them. But He carried on. And He made His journey. 
James and John were mad about that. They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Lord, these people are not worthy of you. They wouldn't even come out and greet you. Lord, we just call down fire from heaven and burn them all up. They don't deserve you, Lord. In our preaching, in our travels, and I don't mean just mine, I'm talking about yours and yours and yours. We go and we try to tell people about the Lord. A lot of times the reaction is just the same. They don't care. They won't listen. And sometimes we might get James and John's attitude about it. Lord, these people are not worthy of you. I just wish they were all dead. But notice the difference between that and what Jesus felt. What he felt with those people. When he saw them, he didn't see them just as people. He saw them as those who needed a Savior. He saw in the eyes of this one and that one and another one, every need that everyone had. Now, he knew their names without having ever been introduced. He could look at this one and remember when he was born. He could see in that one over there sadness and hear some happiness. But more than anything, when the Lord would see those people as He passed by going to Calvary, He saw these who needed a Savior, and He was the one. It was for him, for them that He was going there. So He carried on. He said, He rebuked them, You don't know what manner of spirit you are. And I like this one. For the Son of Man... He's not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went on to another village. Wow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already, but he that believeth is not condemned. Because he believes on the name of the only begotten Son of God. That was his purpose going to Jerusalem. That was his purpose for passing through this life. And my purpose and yours is that we can follow his steps. We go to our world because we still live in a world that needs a Savior. And sometimes when we go, Melanie, it seems like the world doesn't care. 
or Steve seemed like somebody was criticizing and throwing stones at us and say, hey, what are you guys doing over there? God is witness to the lives of his faithful children everywhere that we live and breathe in this world so others may know the Savior. You say, well, I'm a carpenter. I'm a plumber. I drill water wells. I teach school. I work in a bank. I'm a student in school. Let it always be said, I am first and foremost a Christian who is a plumber and a carpenter and a student and an office worker and a teacher. I'm first a Christian who wants to go to our world that the world may know that Jesus saves. God bless you all. Thank you so much.